before we, we dig in, it is Father's Day. And, uh, you know, picking out gifts for mom is difficult. You know, some moms love practical gifts. Other moms, if you got them a vacuum cleaner, would, would probably disown you. And, uh, you know, some moms are jewelry moms. Other moms really, really don't care about jewelry. And, and you always want to do the perfect thing for mom and stuff. Dads just need meat. So just go to the meat section, get a big piece of meat, just bring some to your dad and just watch him like get happy. But um, I'm going to train my kids young so when they're older, they will know to just bring meat to the house. And uh, yeah, every dad thinks they know the perfect way to cook up meat. So just nod your head and, and, and let them do their thing. But uh, I, uh, I actually grew up without a dad. Uh, my dad died when I was pretty young, tra- uh, tragically, and, um, and so Father's Day was a day that kind of owned me. Like it was, you know, a day that I wanted to cross out on the calendar and uh, kind of hide out from, from the world. And if, if you've had a, a difficult experience from your dad um, what the, or with your dad, what that often does is it, it projects onto our understanding of God. And a lot of people have been abused by their father, and so they think that God is, is cruel, or some people have been abandoned by their father, and so they think God is distant. And um, if, if, if you will stick with me, and if you will stick with God, you will see that he is, is neither cruel or distant. He is, like we just sang, he is a good father. Um, but if you're here, I do recognize that, that a lot of people are, you know, they're having a difficulty with Father's Day uh, in general, but God has still called us to honor our parents. And uh, as far as it depends on you, I'd just like to encourage you to do the right work uh, in your heart to forgive uh, where forgiveness is possible and to reconcile where uh, reconciliation is an option. And for those of you with great dads, uh, be very, very thankful. That is a blessing from the Lord. And uh, yeah, so, and for those of you that are here that are dads, happy Father's Day. May the meat be with you. So, I um, I did not grow up in a in a in a family that was seeking God, and nor did I have any interest because, like I said, my father's death made me uh, want to distance myself from God altogether. But one of the things I did not understand in my pursuit of God was something that has come to help me uh, later on in my years of following Him, and that is very simply this. God is hidden. God is hidden. And God intentionally hides himself so that those who who really desire to know him and see him will will go out of their ways and they will remove all distractions and say, God, I want to find you and you alone. And I didn't understand God was hidden because, you know, I'd flip around on the TV and there's, there's, you know, there's God channels on TV and there's all these, all these buildings where people are meeting to talk about God and there's people on the street corner uh, telling you uh, how you should live. And I was confused. It just seemed like God, uh, while he was talked about everywhere, his people just couldn't get along or agree on the same thing. And as I, I started to investigate a little bit more about who God is, I started to understand that God hides himself um, from, from the everyday stuff and, and really reveals himself to those who, who seek him. So he's not obvious. No matter how many people try to simplify 
a variety of messages. God remains hidden. So then the question for us then is, if, if, if God is hidden, what does it take to find him? And do we even want to? Do we want to know him? Is he worth pursuing? Is he worth drawing near to? This summer, we're looking at a cast of characters. They've often been promoted as heroes of the faith because they knew God. They're legends of the faith. It's a diverse list of people over several hundreds of years, but they all share a few things in common. They were flawed, and they had faith. They were flawed. If you, if you look at the list, it's not necessarily people who you would think that a God would use to bring about his business. They were flawed. But if you look closer, you see the common thread among these flawed women and men is that they had faith that God was greater than their shortcomings. Many of us today feel disqualified from faith. We feel too flawed. A flaw, according to the, uh, the, the dictionary, is a mark, a fault, or other imperfection that mars a subject or object. How would you like being called this? A mistake, a defect, a blemish, an imperfection, a deficiency, a weakness, a weak point, a weak link, a weak spot, inadequate, having a shortcoming, having limitations, or failing. You know, if, 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 if someone tells you this, they are not a friend. They are the opposite of a friend. And, and when you hear these types of messages, they are not coming from God. We're really good at attaching uh, ourselves to messages that, that, that we believe, but, but messages that aren't true. And, and while you may have a flaw, you are not worthless. So not only are we flawed, but our faith is flawed. And, and, and our faith is flawed as long as we think that our flaws keep us from faith. Our faith is flawed as long as we think our flaws keep us from faith. But our flaws actually are, are, are often the starting point. Our doubts are often the, the launching pad of faith uh, because then, then we are realistic about where we're at and we're realistic with, with what God needs to build on. But God is uh, wanting to take our mistakes, our flaws, and just show who He is through them. It's normal to question yourself. When we see how huge God is, we see how small we are. When we see how holy and perfect God is, we see how imperfect we are. People who think that they don't need God have a very small view of God. But when any person can see God rightly, it's, it's simply foolishness to think we are great in comparison to Him. None of us have made a planet, let alone hold them all in existence, oversee galaxies. But I was overwhelmed with personal thoughts in seeking God, like what, what, what type of God would use a mess up like me? How desperate would a God be to have to go to the bottom of the barrel? And it's interesting in my head, in my heart, if I can't think horrible things about myself, the pendulum will swing where I just think, man, God's getting a great deal. 
And God, God uh, wants us to view ourselves humbly, and we swing often between insecurity and pride, between thinking too lowly of ourselves and too much of ourselves. And God doesn't want us to think less of ourselves or more of ourselves. God wants us to think of ourselves appropriately, and that's what humility is. Humility is actually a fruit of faith. When we know rightly who God is and who God has made us, we can walk humbly with our God. Each insecure or prideful question we wrestle with is a soul distraction. It keeps us looking more at self and less at God. And when the Holy Spirit of God breathes life into you, it allows you to exchange your ways of selfish living for an ability to live in ways you never thought you could. I never thought I could forgive my dad, but then God breathed something in me, something that feels a lot like faith or hope or grace, and all of a sudden I am able to extend forgiveness to a person who I thought ruined my life. That comes from somewhere. It comes from faith. Our flaws don't keep us from faith. They simply provide the foundation for faith. A person with flaws is not kept from knowing God. Only a person who thinks they don't need God is kept from knowing God. Understanding we're flawed means that we are a realist. If we don't see our own flaws, if we think we're flawless, we're simply delusional. So we're all in this together. We're all flawed. And God works through flawed people. Oftentimes, people try to overcome flaws with facts and they try and hide behind facts. There's a lot of people who want to get right information about God, but facts honestly don't change a life. Two plus two, you probably know the answer to, but it does not affect how you carry out your relationships. It is by faith in Christ Jesus and who He is and what He's done that will teach you how to navigate uh, the world in ways that facts simply can. Facts never change a person. Only faith does that. Facts can point to what we have faith in but facts alone will not save us. God has called us to live a life of faith. The righteous will live by faith. Turn with me, if you will. Our anchor chapter is Hebrews chapter 11. This is what we're going to be looking at. All of our speakers will be pulling texts from Hebrews 11, looking specifically at one of the biblical heroes. I'd enjoy you to join us this summer by reading through the book of Hebrews. Uh, most of the Bible apps have an audio option and I've just been listening for the past couple weeks and just, just letting God's Word kind of wash over me. Uh, and it's amazing what happens. Like your, your head can be thinking of a bunch of stuff and your heart may want what it wants. But when you just let God's Word flow over you, it, it, it fills some part of your soul. I think worship does this too. Like it, it touches some, some part of our being that is just desperate for truth and, and, and for wisdom and for life and honestly for God. And so I encourage you to just get in the book of Hebrews. It will help get some good context to what we'll be talking about all summer. Um, starting with verse 1, it says, Faith is confidence. That I, I learned it. Faith is being sure in what we hope for and certain about what, what we cannot see. This, this translation says, Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is what the, 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 the founders of the faith were commended for, was having faith, believing in an unseen God that He would do what He said He would do. And, and, and they did not know Jesus, but they did believe that God was going to send a Messiah. 
that, that he was going to rescue his people. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Uh, a, a lot of believers might disagree in how long God took to do that, or if, 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 if the passage is, is literal, or if, if Genesis is, is poetry. But they agree on one thing, and that is God spoke the world into existence. From nothing came, came something. And not only something, just billions of something. God filled and created the atmosphere with, with worlds and galaxies and stars, and they all shout to His glory. They all shout of His existence. They all bring about worship of the one that created them. And, and we are the ones that were created in His image. And we are asked to do the same. I heard a person say, if you can believe the first verse in the Bible, then the rest isn't that difficult. If you can believe that God created the heavens and the earth, then these other miracles that you read about actually seem pretty small in comparison. But, but, but the, the people in Hebrews 11 that we're studying, they had faith. And they understood that the universe was formed at God's command, that He simply spoke it into existence. I'm looking specifically today at the character of Abraham. Um, and it's, it's good to speak about Abraham on Father's Day because Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's... Put your right arm in, your right arm out, and shake it all about. (laughs) By faith, Abraham, when he was called to a place he didn't know, he went. Let's look at verse 8. When he was called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By the way, GPS has saved my marriage. Uh... My wife and I had real difficulty in the early years of our marriage with printed directions, and, um, and GPS is really helping us with that, so I'd just like to publicly thank the people of Google Maps and the app people for the health of my marriage. And I don't know how Abraham navigated this with his wife, because he was going to a place he didn't know, and I'm certain she knew when they were supposed to turn left. And he didn't, so, um, yeah. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. And this just meant they were mobile. They were ready to go when God said go. Um, For he was looking forward to a city with foundations. He wasn't sure where where God was going to lay the cornerstone to his city, but he was sure that God was going to establish something. Uh, because he believed that the architect and builder was God. Has God ever called you to a place you didn't know? Has he ever called you into the land of forgiveness? And you really weren't sure what that land would look like. You weren't sure how to get to the land of forgiveness without navigating through a bunch of pain. And honestly, you might not have been sure what it would look like to live in the land of forgiveness if you let that pain go. That's the thing that God called me to that, that kind of jump-started my relationship with Him. And, and, and I encourage people wherever they can to go through and to the land of forgiveness. Has God called you into purity? 
you know, nowadays the wisdom of the world is that, that your body is your right and your impulses are your guide and God is asking you to trust Him in ways that would navigate your uh, urges and impulses to protect you for a lifetime and protect those around you in some incredible ways. God is, is not a prude. God actually designed this whole thing to be much better than you can imagine, but He asks you to trust Him. He asks you to enter through the promised land of patience and purity and to wait for what He will bless you with. Are you willing to go to that land with Him? Are you ready to follow Him there? Abraham was called to a place he didn't know. From Genesis chapter 12, the Lord had said, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household. I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. All people on earth will be blessed through you. And a lot of us say, Derek, that would be great if God would just pull me aside and say those things, then I for sure would believe him. And Jesus said, blessed are those who have seen and believe, but blessed more are those who believe in the testimony. In many ways, you are given more opportunity for faith than Abraham and Jesus' own disciples. Do you want that opportunity? Do you want to be blessed more by, by, by hearing verbally something or by believing in who God is in such a way that you don't need Him to repeat something that He wrote long time ago, but you will search and seek it out and adjust your life around it? Because those people who seek Him and love Him and long for Him and search for Him, there's plenty of stuff in here. And when you get that down, sometimes God whispers a little more. Sometimes God whispers a little bit extra. But, but those of us who, who are just sitting waiting for God to shout something unique to us have to be very careful that we're not missing what it is that God already said. But God tells Abraham that he'll bless him. So Abram went, and the Lord had told him, uh, as the Lord had told him. Lot, his nephew, went. He was 75 years old. When he set out from Haran, he took his wife, um, all their possessions that they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. And um, I don't know about you, packing. Uh, I worked for a moving company. Moving is, is, is said to be the third most stressful life experience behind death and divorce. You are uprooting everything you know and everything that is familiar, and they did not have a moving truck to help them do so. They are getting everything together. But, but, but here's what's amazing. It doesn't say how long it took him to go. It just simply said he went. And some biblical scholars, if you read the passages uh, uh, around this text, they, they actually believe that the call might have gone initially to Abraham's father. Because they were living over here. I'm going to do a little map. Um, kind of between Iraq and Iran. Uh, it's called Ur of the Chaldeans. And, and they were called to go to the land that God called them to. And when they get through what's modern-day Syria now up to what we know as Turkey, they stop there. And um, a, a few chapters earlier in chapter 11, it said, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, and his daughter-in-law, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. 
the scripture actually says they settled there. Is there an area of your life where you've settled? Is there an area of your life that God has called you to go to an unknown place and you got halfway there and you're like, nah, that's good enough. It's farther than I was planning on going. It's farther than the people around me were going. But said he settled there. And God didn't change plans and say, oh, if you're going to just stay there, then, then we'll redo everything. God simply speaks and asks Abraham to continue going. And Abraham does. If God calls you to marriage, he asks you to finish the marriage. If he calls you to faith, he asks you to finish with faith. If he calls you to believe, he wants you to believe every day. It doesn't mean that we don't doubt. It means that we know what to do with our doubts. We know where to go with our doubts. We've got the wisdom of Scripture and we've got the, the Spirit of God and the people of God. And to try and navigate world today on our own is a little bit insane. When we do the same thing we've always done, we will always have what we've always had. And God is asking us to step into the newness of faith and the newness of life and the newness of following Him. He wants it to be forever. Have you settled? Is there some rationale in your brain that justifies only going halfway? Abraham's father settled halfway. And when he died, God spoke again and asked him to move. Faith moves. Faith responds. Abraham packed up his family and he headed to Canaan. And this is foundational to the people of God, but if you've never been called to go somewhere, if you've never been asked to get outside of your comfort zone, those of us who, who came to Jesus at a later age, we had to exchange the life that we're living, uh, th that we were living and the ways that we used to have fun and the ways that we used to find our identity for a new way of living and a new identity. But those who have, have grown up always thinking and acting this way, they sometimes miss the challenges of faith which takes you deeper. And if you've never been asked to think other than the way that you think, there's a good chance that God is not God, but you are your God. The way that you have understood God becomes your God. And we are self-serving individuals that make God comfortable and safe when God is wanting to see and call us out into uh, uncomfort so that we will trust not the safety of our abilities, but the safety of who He is. God speaks in ways that are unpredictable. And He asks us to do what we don't understand so that we'll care less about our safety and security and more about his ability. Faith is trust in action. Faith moves, faith trusts. We have an opportunity to respond. We have an opportunity to draw near. We can believe in the promises of God, or we can settle. For the series, we kind of came up with, with um, series in a sentence. We might say this every week. We'll see how it goes. But it says, God uses flawed people who are willing to walk with him by faith. God uses flawed people. Well, we're all flawed, so that makes sense. But God uses those who are willing to walk with him by faith. Are you willing to walk with him? Faith is not something we, we profess. It's not something we just say. It's not something we possess. It's not this feeling that we have, but it's what we express. Faith is actually lived out of, of, of how we live out in community. It's not simply believing in, but trusting in. 
A lot of us can say we believe in facts about God, but God is asking us to trust in Him completely. Faith begins by taking one small step into the great unknown. Abraham was willing to live by faith. And if you've been trying to follow God for any length of time, you'll notice this strange phenomenon. What you will see is that you can take two steps forward, but then in another area, it seems like you've taken one step back. And, and, and really simply, it's because when you push into a world that's full of compromise, the world pushes you back. The world says, don't be different, just fit in. And, 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 and God is asking us to press against the standards of the world in ways of faith by showing, no, no, I believe that God is with me. Faith is asking us when we step into a room to realize the temperature of the room will change because the Holy Spirit of God is living in and through you. We are not thermometers that just adjust to the temperature of what or social setting that we fit in. We are thermostats. We adjust to the temperature of the room because when you step into a room, the Holy Spirit of God walks with you. And that changes things. God is a life-changing God and it means He's with you and that will change any room that you walk into. But, but when you take a step of faith, you encounter resistance. And more often than not, this resistance it kind of exposes you. It shows the areas. You're taking faith over here, but then God shows you that you have a blind spot over here. And we see that in Abraham. It's almost as if the Scriptures want to show us that, that while Abraham had great faith, he also had great flaws. So just after these promises that God gives... Abraham goes out and, and shows how unworthy he is to receive this. Starting in verse 10, still in Genesis 12, there's a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was pretty bad. He was about to enter Egypt, and he said to his wife, Look, you are a beautiful woman, and uh, if they see you, they're going to say, oh, this is his wife, and we'd like to be with her, so we got to kill the husband so we can be with the wife. So i got a plan, honey. Just say that you're my sister, and things will be fine. Do you realize how messed up this is? Basically, I will be safe, but they can take you to do whatever they want. Messed up. So not only is he lying, he is not protecting his wife. He's afraid. He's afraid of the, of the repercussions that could happen. Honestly, he's afraid of death. There is a theological term for what he is experiencing. In this moment, Abraham is a scaredy cat. I don't blame him, though. I can't go anywhere with my beautiful wife, Christina, without being afraid that someone's going to kill me and take her and it, I, to be fair to Abraham, he's in a worn, torn country. Uh, traveling where he's going to isn't like us going up to Canada, you know, or to Bellis Fair. We don't encounter the same resistance than what they were resisting, but still, he did not trust God. He did not tell the truth uh, in light of the circumstances. He, he hid. He lied. God had spoken directly to Abraham, and yet he was afraid. He was more afraid for his life than for the safety of his wife. He'd rather lie and protect himself than tell the truth. And the Bible doesn't share the story so that we will be like Abraham and try and deceive our neighbors. This passage is included so that we see even after we encounter God, we're going to mess up in some ways. 
God's going to use those too, but he wants us to press into who he is and, uh, and, and learn from him. Mistakes of others are not to justify our mistakes. They're to keep us from making similar mistakes. Now, if God spoke to you when you were younger or if God spoke to you yesterday and you ran and hid and you said, no thanks, God, God's not done with you yet. And I don't care if you're 17 or 70. God has a plan for you. You may be flawed, but you're not broken. Flawed just means you're human. Faith means you're God's. Throughout history, God has worked more through flawed people with solid faith, with faith in Jesus, than he has through solid people with flawed faith. You know, put together with people with faith in, in, in whatever. Our faith is made solid when the object we place our faith in is solid. And there's nothing more solid than Jesus Christ. Genesis 22, sometimes later God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, take your son, the one you love. A lot of you are familiar with this. Go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there um, on the mountain. I will show you. And early the next morning, Abraham got up. And that's what I want you to see. Early the next morning. A lot of us are like, God, did you say that? Are you sure? You know, I get Gideon. Gideon's flipping over, you know, carpets and stuff, like make it dewy on this side, make it dewy on that side. But Abraham wakes up in the morning and he just gets everything and he's ready to sacrifice the thing that means more to him than anything. What if God called you to sacrifice the thing that you put your identity in? Would you do it? Would you love God more than whatever it is that beckons for you or the thing that you are putting all your energy and effort into if God asked you to release that would you Abraham does what I want you to see is the speed of his response how would your life look differently if you obeyed God instantly how much worrying doubting uncertainty frustration would be removed if we simply obeyed like Abraham, if we simply showed obedient faith, I want to believe like that. God, I want you to help me believe like that. Faith is only limited by the amount of clutter that we put between us and God. And God is hidden, but if we want to get to him, we've got to remove the clutter. The clutter of fear, the clutter of pride, the clutter of acting the wrong way, the clutter of doing the wrong things, and, 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 and here we get to see God and who He is, and He reveals Himself to us in some amazing ways. When your life has been changed by God, you hunger and desire more for Him. If, 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 if you have very little hunger or desire for God, there's a good chance you haven't been changed by Him. You haven't found Him in the secret place. We're not going to change the public places until we meet with God in secret spaces. One of the reasons I wanted to share on Abraham wasn't because of his flaws. It's because he got to witness what I, thought, what I think is one of the most prophetic and incredible events in, in world history. And uh, just like God is hidden, the story is often hidden. And, and, and I don't know if you've heard about it talked that much. It, it's it's kind of in the midst of all these promises that God has given to Abraham and, and what God is doing for Abraham. But to understand this story, we have to understand what a covenant is. 
And a biblical covenant at the time was when two parties would get together and agree on something, they would take an animal or several animals and they would slice them in half. And they would place both halves of the animal, you know, bloody and guts pouring out and everything. Uh, they'd clean them up a little bit, but they'd, they'd place these animals on both sides. And then this party together would walk through the pieces. And what this signified, what this symbolized is, is I would rather be torn apart. I would rather be cut up. I would rather be bloody. I would rather die than break my word. Now, this adds a lot to the marriage ceremony when you realize we are called to a marriage covenant. We are called to covenant with God. And we are called to covenant with our spouse. And we are to walk through the pieces where we basically say, Honey, I don't care what goes wrong. In sickness or in health, you know, for better or worse, I'm going to do my part to stay in this. I would rather die than get out of it. Our culture is not living up to that level of commitment, but that is the level of commitment that God's people are called to. That is, that is a covenant commitment. And, and Abraham was aware that not only were, were, were covenants made between two equal parties, but covenants were also made between a, a, a lesser party to a greater. So if there was a landowner and um, someone wanted to use a por- portion of his land, he would make a covenant with the landowner saying, if you give me the land... I'm going to walk through these pieces and I'm going to let you know that I'm going to share the crops and I'm going to pay you back for the land that you loan me. And if you don't, I would rather die. You could kill me. So people paid their debts. So here in, in, in Genesis 15, God is speaking to Abram. His name has not been changed yet. He says, do not be afraid. I am your shield your very great reward. And, and all Abram says is, I don't know how you're going to do this for me, God. I don't have any kids. Abram makes other shortcuts and tries to, to bring God's promises about in his own way. And we don't have time for all those mess ups. But what I want you to see is God is speaking to him. And Abram believed the Lord and credited to him as righteousness. This is why he's in the list, because he believed that God was going to do something. He still messed up a ton of ways in trying to bring it about in his own way, but, but he believed that God was going to do something. He says, oh, sovereign Lord, how, how will this come to be? And, and, and God in verse 9 says, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram. And now he knows the deal. He knows the, the shtick from here. We're going to cut these up. God's going to have me walk through it. And um, I'm, going to co- I'm going to commit to something. And when I commit to something, God will bless me. Well, here's the problem. That's not how it goes down. Because if, if Abraham was saying, I'm going to keep this covenant or else I will be cut up and die, Abraham would have died. He couldn't do it. And here we see something fascinating. We see something fascinating where the greater is making an agreement with the lesser. If someone had a million dollars and wanted to loan it to someone who didn't have a job and say, if you don't pay this back in two years, then let me, let me die. That person, you'd think that was a crazy person. Who loans money to someone without any ability to repay at threat to their life? You have to be either completely crazy or completely loving. And here, God does something that Abraham wasn't expecting and that we should all take note of, and that is this. 
When the sun had set, verse 17, and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Why is this significant? Because Abram is overtaking a nap and he's looking at the sacrifice and God Himself through, through a smoking pot, a blazing torch passes between the pieces to say to Abraham, I'm going to make you great, but you'll probably mess it up. If the covenant gets broken, let me be beaten. Let me be broken. Let me be bloodied. Let me die. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Abram had no idea how this was going to happen, but he believed in what God would do. And then God himself left heaven. God sent his only son who said, you guys have messed up. You haven't fulfilled your part. So I will be beaten. I will be bloodied. I will die. Who does that? Either a crazy person or a completely loving one. God is not distant. He left heaven to come near. God is not cruel. He gave up everything to extend His love, to take whatever beating, whatever shame, whatever guilt, whatever distance there is between us and Him, and He paid it all. And our response is by faith to draw near to Him. Our response is to remove the things that come between us and Him. Our response for this hidden God is to seek Him out by faith. And if you're willing, you can have that. Jesus paid it all. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. God, would you fill this room with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill every person in this room with faith? Every person that is willing, God, I pray that they would walk out of this room knowing that you are with them, that they are no longer a thermometer adjusting to the temperature of whatever room they walk into. They, God, are a thermostat of faith walking with an unseen God. God, you know our doubts. Doubts don't disqualify us from faith. They're, they're, they're often the starting point of faith. God, would you meet us in our doubts? You know our fears. God, would you help us deal with our fears? You know our hurts and our wounds. And God, the, the rationale that, that gets messed up in our head and our heart when we're hurt and wounded. God, teach us that, that in this world there will be trouble, but you've, you've overcome it. And God, you don't remove us from the pain of this world, but you will meet us in it. Through everything we will encounter, you will be with us if we ask, if we draw near to you by faith. Jesus, I ask that you would change Whatcom County through the people in this room in Ferndale, and I believe you will do it. God, if they will respond to you by faith. So God, I, I stand for you. I say, God, start with me. Help me. Help me, God, through my flawed life, through my brokenness, through my fears. God, teach me, guide me. And if that's you this morning, I just want you to know that God is here. God hears your head. God hears your heart. God wants to give you more faith.
God wants to help you believe. Jesus, would you help? Together in your name. Amen.